Hey folks, it's Jeff Wenzel from the Woodshed Agency, and you are listening to my podcast called Successfully Funded. Here we go. Let's turn it up. Turn it up. Yeah! All right, everybody. How is everybody doing out there in crowdfunding land? You guys doing good? Huh? How's that money? Is it coming in? Huh? Is your campaigns getting funded? Are you watching those backers come in? Um, you getting your strategy ready to go to get your stretch goals out? What, I mean, what's going on out there? Huh? So we've got a new week. And you know what? I'm feeling better. You know, I think we're out of the last week. Um, just. Blah. I mean, what else can you say, right? Can you really say anything else about last week? On top of that, um, Saturday night, I watched Michigan football lose. You know, so I added that to my week. But you know what? It's a new week. It's fresh. Um, Got to shake it off, right? Shake it off. Roll the shoulders out a little bit. Maybe do a couple back bends. You kick it back off, right? You got to get back up off the ground if you're not having a good week. And I got to tell you, last week was probably not one of my best weeks. And I think I, I think there's like, you know, almost, you know, whatever, 50 million other people that might be saying the same thing about last week. So, so let's talk about today's episode. Um, I've got a conversation with Alexander Chin, and uh, his campaign is the world's first color-changing decks, the Apothecary. Um, what does that mean? playing cards the coolest playing cards on the planet right um this this conversation kind of cemented something home for me that that i wanted again to talk just a little bit about is how thankful i am that i started this podcast and i know that i don't have a ton of listeners and you know there's not like a million people or whatever you know bounding down or listening to this and it's it's a niche audience but i'll tell you what it's been doing for me i was fully unaware of the sub niches and small pockets of industry and business that kickstarters and indiegogo directly affect and i think you're going to hear that this week this week i'm going to do three episodes again i've got three great conversations each one of them is you know in a category that you know it's just something i've i haven't thought about i have never thought about playing cards that are you know just designed as cool as you can get they change color when your skin touches them and you know and they've got this artwork that's just beyond belief and people are paying good money for it and just to give you an example this campaign $74,000 on a $20,000 goal with 890 backers 890 backers that's unheard of to me and maybe I'm just this naive I just you know so much of uh, it really is highlighting the bubble. And the podcast for me right now, doing these these conversations each week, is pulling the bubble away from me. Having conversations with global, you know, global conversations with people, right? Um, talking about industries and products that, you know, I, I just don't see every day or, you know, even really think about. I mean, I, obviously, I have a ton of conversations about the board game world and, and, you know, the amount of money changing hands in that world. And then to get this conversation, it's just, I'm awestruck flat out. And I'm really, really digging these conversations. And I hope you guys out there are too, man. I'm hoping that this is a chance to just see the power of crowdfunding, right? See what can really happen if you get a community. Um, You know, it's something that I know myself, Paul and Sean, this is something we truly believe that like, like, 
if you go out and do the work and get that community built, right? Get people around you, believing in your idea, talking about it, supporting it. Now that takes time. That's a that's a challenging thing I'm describing. But if you put that work in, right, you will create your audience that you can sell all your products to. You know, there's no magical button to get that audience or that community, but if you can get it, you can do this. You know, Kickstarter can be a vehicle to launch your, you know, your new products. And it's just, man. So yeah, so this conversation is great. Uh, I'm excited for it to come, um, you know, to to come up and uh, yeah, just a really, really, really good conversation that I truly enjoyed, and I'm excited for it. So, you know, I, I was reading, I've been reading this book by Brennan Brown, um, and the book. Let me just pull up the title. It's called Daring Greatly, right? How to be, how the courage to be vulnerable transforms the way we live, love, parent, and lead. Pretty mouth. Big mouthful for a title, but I can't stress enough how much this book has been just jaw-droppingly amazing for me. Um, there was a great, great quote in it that I want I wanted to say right now is, uh, a 20-minute walk that I do is better than a four-mile run that I don't do. The imperfect book that gets published is better than the perfect book that never leaves my computer. The dinner party of takeout Chinese food is better than the elegant dinner that I never host. That quote has hit, I read it actually today, this morning when I was, um, uh, before I, I recorded this intro, just hit me because something that kind of came up in my therapy session um, not too long ago was, you know, just reflecting a little bit on myself and how um, I, 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 I very rarely don't do an idea, right? I try out, I, I get it started. Um, you know, I, I truly believe that you got to just get off the ground with whatever you're working on. This podcast is our example of it. Go listen to the first four episodes. It's definitely not what it is right now. And how I am right now is not what this will be in, in, um, in another six months and another six months after that, it'll be even better. And, and, but you have to get off the ground, right? And something that's kind of been, oh, kind of happening over and over, just, I went not with all our clients, but with a few clients is this idea of perfection. We can't put that out until I have the perfect email wrote. And I have to constantly come back and I go, that doesn't exist. And here's where the friction comes in is I, I it's very challenging to be the person that says, just put the email out on, you know, it's your brand. It's your company that you work on. You know, um, you know, it's your baby. And I'm telling you, just send your baby out. Just go, just go. It'll be fine. You know? You know, especially in the social media world, this digital marketing world, man, you get so uh, you get a big time second chance tomorrow, <laughs> you know. And that was kind of my my other takeaway that kind of came from the election is, man, you can say anything and get away with it right now. That is our culture. That's absolute. And I think you saw what happens when you run a impersonal, very scripted, um, you know, campaign. Look what happens. People, I think more than ever, want you to be vulnerable, want to see you fail, want to see you talk out of your ass and then backtrack and back. You know what that tells you or that tells the people watching? You're a human being. This is something that Paul and I talk about quite a bit uh, internally to our, you know, in our conversations of just social media. It's about personal connections. That's why we demand our, uh, you know, our people get in the video. You got to get in the video, you know, like we got to look in your eyes, you know, send the email. I think sometimes a email with a wrong link has more, you know, 
more valuable than the perfectly crafted email that's perfect, right? Um, one of the things I do in my my opening email when I'm kind of doing some cold emailing is, man, I let you look into my life. Here's my Facebook. You don't think I'm a human being? Here I am. Here, you know, Google me. You're gonna find a couple some things that probably aren't that amazing. You're gonna find some stuff that's amazing. I'm a human being. Connect with me. So I really think that step again for you to be successful in this industry crowdfunding or whatever it is right you've got to put your warts out there and be comfortable with it and and be comfortable in that vulnerability of doing it even our conversation coming up later with alexander i just told you he's got an a, a, you know he's almost at eighty thousand dollars for playing cards right that that's I, I, that's amazing. Even in our conversation, look here, you got to listen to it a little bit, right? Listen to what he's saying and how he wishes he could have done a few things better. He knew that he missed up on a, messed up on a couple things, right? And that didn't stop him. Now, now granted you can, you know, come out and totally, you know, uh, you, know you shoot your wad early. I'll be here all day, folks. Um, you know, you don't want to do that. You still want to have some, you know, you, you, you know, you don't want to just go up on product hunt and actually not have a plan. I've seen that happening here uh, recently. Um, you know, you've got to have a plan. But after you have that plan, be comfortable knowing that some things are going to change. Sometimes you've got to shift. Sometimes, it, you know, the wrong photo goes out. You just roll with it. And guess what? It's a fart in the wind. The next day, nobody has any idea that it even happened. It's it's really about you getting back up on the horse, and that's challenging. So that's why this book, um, it's just it's just been eye opening how vulnerability starts. To, you know, is just the core of shame and fear and all these other things that start to happen from it. So I'm halfway through it. I'm going to read finish up the rest of it probably this week. Um, but I'm telling you, if it's something you're struggling with. You know, especially, and here's where I see it the most. I see it so much in social media where somebody's like, I just don't know what to put today. Just put anything. You just got to get in the habit of, of being in the conversation, right? So if you're struggling with something like that, you might want to reflect a little bit more and go, why am I struggling with that? Why do I not want to go out and get in these conversations? What are you scared about? Because in today's economy, in today's climate, in today's ecosystem, you can go out and basically do anything. And I don't know how you can't, how you can say I'm wrong considering uh, who the president of the United States is. Um, right? Am I wrong? I don't think so. So, yeah. All right. So that's, that's my rant for, for the day. But we're kicking off the week. I'm excited about this week. Um, you know, we're getting close to the holidays, which is awesome. You know, it's a great time when you have small kids to get into that world. Um, you know, so I'm, I'm, I'm giddy. But, yeah, let me, uh, let me, let me, let me get rid of some of my, my to-dos, right? Uh, if you're enjoying the podcast, if you're enjoying Jeff Wenzel and the rants, you like the, the, the interviews, go tell a friend, right? Make sure you're a subscriber uh, on iTunes, Stitcher, wherever you get your podcast for. Go to the website. You can find them there. Sign up for our RSS feed. So yeah, so do that, right? Tell a friend. That would be awesome. If, and the second thing, right? Join our community on Slack. You get access to me, Sean, and Paul 24-7 ask questions, social media, marketing, digital marketing, whatever you want, whatever questions you got, throw it in there. We just talk and just have, you know, join our, join our community. We got a really nice community over there. A lot of good info. Um, so check that out. Uh, third, make sure you're reading our blog, sign up for our newsletter. You can do that through the website as well. It's a lot of stuff, man. Connect with me, connect with us. We want to talk. 
about crowdfunding and, and marketing and social media. Video, we love video too. Let's just talk. So, all right, let's kick to my conversation with Alex uh, from the Apothecary um, uh, World's First Color Changing Decks. Pretty cool, huh? All right, here's my conversation. I wake up Alex, we're back. We're going to try this again, huh? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, the old tech bug bit us, I think, on Monday. Uh, you know, you weren't my only thing. I had a few other gremlins that day. So uh, I feel like that happens just in the universe once in a while. Just, hey, Keeps it's not going to work. Toes. Exactly. Uh, it's just not going to work. Don't deal with it. Just so let's move, you know, just move on, right? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so let's start from scratch here. Um, tell my listeners uh, about your very successful Kickstarter campaign going on right now. Okay, so um, I design playing cards, um, and that's my medium of art. And I essentially design playing cards for um, collectors as a community. Um, and so this current Kickstarter right now is the Apothecary series, uh, which really uh, focuses on the hand craftsmanship of what it takes to create a, a pocket-sized gallery of art. Um, that we don't really think of as playing cards, but it utilizes um, color-changing ink, hand engraving, hand gilding, uh, things you're not going to find at your everyday store. So, you know, uh, how did you discover that there's actually an audience or a niche for what you're making? Um, Well, it it did help that I was sort of in it in the beginning. Um, I remember when I was a kid, I used to do a lot of magic uh, cards that you'd play with, um, performing like that. Um, and then, uh, the, f- I think the first custom deck came out where it was all black and I've never seen that before. And that was pretty big. Um, but the actual collector's market didn't really start until, um, the Kickstarter, uh, Avenue opened up. And then uh, the first few projects sort of opened the door to this whole collecting genre as a whole. Um, so it was actually pretty isolated to magicians that wanted um, better cards to little give a little more oomph to their performance. Sure. And um, now, now there's a whole more uh, a, a whole other corner of the niche where it, it is focused on display and pieces as art. Um, you'll see a lot of painters do some stuff. Um, I do the, the design route where it's based on the packaging. And everyone starts to really you know, have their own team that they sort of root for in terms of right. who they follow. Now, now, when it comes to design, where do you fit into that situation? Is this coming out of your brain, or do you hire people for this sort of stuff? Uh, so uh, I actually do everything. Um, it's, it's funny because I, I actually gave a presentation a couple years ago on playing cards, and I use the term we a lot, and it's something that, that came up when 
I, I launched my first campaign and I, I read about how using the terms like we and community and all these things really help strengthen the trust in the, the project. And yes. I, I, I never got it out of my system, but uh, it really is honestly just me. I, I draw everything by hand. Um, I, I hopefully pick a theme that people are going to like, and then I'll, I'll put it through the whole gambit of inking it and then bringing it to the computer, setting it for pre-press, doing prototypes and all that fun stuff. Wow. That's a lot of stuff. I, uh, I had assumed, this is wrong of me, that, that you had a couple people working on this with you. So that's very impressive that you're... Because uh, it, it just seems like there's so many layers to, you know, uh, just from the tech side of stuff to the design to... Yeah, no, it's 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 pretty insane. It is pretty insane. Um, I I I really do hope that I pick uh, something that will be fresh enough. Um, so you know, you, the the themes of knights in, in kings. That's it's it's pretty it's pretty overdone. So I usually don't touch it. It my last project I did, and it was because of the exception that uh, the Magna Carta turned eight hundred years old. And so I made a very special release just to celebrate, you know, the foundation of liberty, which I thought was pretty cool. Yeah, that is sweet. Uh, so, you know, I, I've had a, just a touch of experience in terms of the like. Um, there was a magazine here in the Detroit area that was very futuristic, and this is about ten years ago, maybe now at the time. But they had, um, you know, color uh, paper that would color change colors as you touched it or heat sensitivity. Where does technology stand when it comes to like card games and how do you get your, how do you get into that door? Um, you know, cause again, very, it seems like it's very challenging, you know, in my mind. Yeah, no, that's a, that's actually a really common question that a lot of designers, uh, like, uh, inside ballpark talk, I guess mm -hmm. that's the term. Right. Um, uh, we, we ask that a lot because, uh, the market heats and cools at, at pretty fast cycles. Um, and so we, we try to stay fresh. Um, how does tech come in? It really comes down to the amount of work you're putting into it, as well as the type of people that you're sort of rooting for um, as your supporters. Because, I mean, if you're in the magic game and these people have turnover rates of their decks that are quite high because if you're using them and you're performing with them and you're um, or you're playing games with them and you're going to spoil the deck, um, maybe rips or maybe um, you know all the dirt um, once a week or once a month. Where versus a hardcore collector, if they're dropping uh, a bit more money per deck, they actually prefer not to even uh, open up the cellophane. And so that completely changes up how we present the artwork to them. So it, things that interact on a surface level, the packaging then becomes redefined as the new product um, than the cards themselves. So when I start to um, think about how technology can hold, um, because I'm in a smaller niche um, of the handcrafted area, I think I'm okay with doing processes that are more uh, labor-intensive. Mm -hmm. But if I was someone of a larger scale, um, I guess doing magic, I need a technology that could be done um, by machine that right. I didn't have to handle, <laughs> per, per right. se. So, um, 
Yeah, I, I guess one of the things, um, I guess if you're looking for specific answers for which technologies, um, foiled backs had just came out. Um, it was something that was reserved just for boxes. Um, and then it, it recently came out last year, and it's a big hit. You're seeing a lot of new decks now um, in the Magic world that are, are really featuring that. Um, hyper-customization. Uh, we used to have, uh, you'll see decks from other Magic companies go 15,000, 20,000, and now something isn't even really considered limited edition unless it's under 2,500, under 1,000. Um, and so people are requesting individual numbers per deck so they like know it's verified. So that's actually what I have on some of the engraved sleeves that I have that I'll hand sign and hand date. Right. Um, but yeah, it's all, it's all based on the demographic you're shooting for. Yeah. And who is this person? I guess I have never come across a person collecting cards like this. Who are they? Where, where do they hang out? What does, what is, what does your customer avatar kind of look like? Okay. That's a, that's another interesting question. Cause um, I, this is sort of something that, that gets discovered. Um, like, I, I don't pretend to understand art in general. I, I like going to museums, but it's, it's hard to really understand um, all these, these crazy pieces of art. Right. Um, but for me, when it's on such a small level, um, it, it gets really exciting to be able to buy art at such a cheap price that has like 50 to 56 different illustrations that I can like handle and play with. Um, and so I, I see a lot of these customers are people that come from a background either in magic and they, they started to slow down on magic for whatever reason, but still love the feel of cards hmm. and drift into this or they do cardistry, which is, it, it's a, that's a bit more international. That's more Singapore, but they'll do a lot of flourishes and stuff like that um, with cards that are, are almost like card juggling. And they will also drift into um, the car collecting atmosphere. Um, it, it does boost a higher age demographic than the entry into magic, typically because it does cost a bit more. Um, not per deck, but because you you are collecting a lot, you know you have to have the money to collect that. Right. So it, you'll typically see that in post college grads. Hmm. Um, Interesting. So yeah. So uh, you know we've gotten a ton of info on the cards, but you know, so what is your background? So I I actually went to school for architecture. Okay. Um, and I graduated, and uh, essentially. I happened upon this um, when I was doing a bucket list item after I graduated college and I had a few months um, living out my lease. And essentially, I just whipped out a few things that I've always wanted to do. Um, always wanted to start a company, so I tried doing a tea company. Mm-hmm. Um, that one didn't work, right. <laughs> unfortunately. That's actually um, my first Kickstarter, by the way. Um, and then I, I tried pitching these cards to some of the big magic companies and, and none of them actually took them. Um, and luckily enough, I found a private investor that was willing to, to do it. And then um, I, I was able to cross that off my bucket list, but it wasn't until it wasn't that big. It, it wasn't until Kickstarter came out that I saw it as a viable option. So after 
after I was in architecture, tried out product design um, because I had such a great time designing Mood Garden, uh, which was the the tea company. And I was like, oh, maybe I'll pursue this just in case. But then when Kickstarter really flew off, I sort of decided to make the jump. Um, I, I, I want to make sure that everyone knows I, I wasn't this romanticized version of <laughs> burn the bridges and let's design cards kind of right, thing. Right. It was very, yeah, Where'd you it was go very to appropriate. I went to U of I, uh, Urbana-Champaign. Okay. All right. Gotcha. Cool. And uh, so what did your parents do? Uh, <laughs> or, or are doing? Uh, what do my parents think? Well, no, what, are they, what do they do? What, 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 what are they, what's their background? Oh, um, so my, my dad's retired and my mom is a uh, gatekeeper for AT&T. I believe that's server stuff. Okay. I'm not quite sure. But <laughs> it sounds like a more daunting uh, thing, but she's a... Uh, she does a lot of the the back end coding gotcha. kind of stuff. Well, it seems like you've got some entrepreneur spirit, obviously, in you. And I was just wondering, you know, if that's something that you know you've seen in your parents, or or where where did that drive come from? Do you think? Uh, that one's actually a pretty easy question to answer. Um, it probably comes from um, a little bit from my mom, and a lot of bit from architecture school. Okay. Um, not gonna lie it's the horror stories i don't know if you if you know about them but uh it's a weird culture that sort of defines uh the lack like lack of not pulling all-nighters so if you're not pulling the all-nighters with everyone else if you're not really living in studio um to get these projects done to get these renders done um, you're expected to be the jack of all trades for everything. Um, and they sort of just push you into it and they don't teach you Photoshop. They don't teach you illustrator, but you're expected to render all these things. Um, it, it's, it's a big learning curve and it, the dropout rate's super high, but if you can get past that initial, um, hump, um, it's probably the one element that I can point to that taught me grit. Um, which is what it sounds like you're describing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, it's it's. I, I imagine no easy thing, right? You're you're in a, you're in a pretty niche market, you know. Uh, yeah, yeah. I, yeah. I, I, I'm wondering, you know, so what? Like, what does scale look like for you? You know, uh, you know, with a product like this. Um, it, can you can you define scale for me, like in yeah, terms mean, of well, business plan or in terms of yeah, just kind sales? of sales? Like, yeah, like is is it you know you know you're always making a series of these every year um you know just what what happens does the artwork get to some level is there some tech in the in terms of the packaging that just i don't know just blows the doors off the place you know like like what does scale even look like in this this market okay um so i think i think one of the one of my favorite quotes, I think it comes from the guy from CD Baby. Um, he, he was the guy that first brought barcodes to, to music, right. which was pretty cool. Um, but he, he said, like, he's approached, um, I think when he was first starting to grow, and people are asking, like, so why don't you scale bigger? And then he sort of asks, like, well, I like what I'm doing. Why do I need to grow? <laughs> right. Um, and so I... I I, I mean, I take that with a grain of salt, but I sort of like that mentality of having a pace of life that you really enjoy. Um, I originally came into this expecting to do four decks a year, one for each season. Mm. Um, and and that's something that you can see with 
the bigger companies that do hire out different designers. Um, I'm I'm a designer by trade and not a illustrator. And when you get into like court cards, um, that's really when you begin to see that kind of you need to illustrate. Um, so I'm I'm a bit slower on that end. Um, but I I do do at least one a year um, through Kickstarter. I'm hoping to push a little bit more. But I would like to begin finding a partner um, to help with operations because um, I, I think what's really holding um, me back, I guess, would be because of the finite limits of time. Gotcha. Um, yeah, I heard um, in this one uh, great speech, um, they're talking about VO models for Silicon Valley. Your visionary operator, your Steve and your Steve, your mom and your pop. Mm-hmm. Uh, the one of the biggest curses is when you're operating a VO model and you're operating successfully as one person, um, because then you can never justify hiring it out when you can do it yourself. Exactly. I, I have yeah. ex- <laughs> I have experience yeah. in my businesses. Yeah, yeah. But I mean, you have a partner though, right? I, yeah, I've, I've got two other guys, yeah, that work with me on stuff. So, it, but it, it is still a challenge of like, uh, I could just do that. It's just easier for me just to do that right now, real quick. I know. Yeah. It's, it's, uh, I, I heard the, the, the magic number is, uh, 50 times. If okay. you can, uh, train someone and it takes less than 50 times what it took you to do that one time, um, eventually in the system, for like more than two months, it'll pay off for itself or something like that. I'm, I'm gonna have to. But, I'll have to make a note of this one and uh, and and <laughs> put that in as yeah. a goal. Amount. So how long was how long was this? You know, kind of when the first idea of this game uh, or this batch of cards, I guess, kind of came to, together to where you are right now. How long did that take? Um. So, um, for this specific project, or yeah, yeah, for this, from the beginning, yeah, for this project. Um. So this this project is actually a little little um, unrepresentative of what a typical process looks like. Um, typically what I'll go do um, is is about five to ten ideas a month and eventually some will just stick to me and keep on coming up and coming up and I'll be like, okay, this is, this is the one I'm going to do. Um, sometimes it's defined by the technology that's out there that I want to use before other people can get to it. Okay. Um, so like this color changing ink, I've been sitting on this for a while, but I just really never had a great theme for it. And um, I, I was going to launch a different design earlier and ended up postponing that because of logistics reasons to push this uh, new set out. So this was actually a project that's set for spring. Um, but I ended up, because my other project didn't work out um, or got postponed, I had to push this to launch on October 17th. Um, and it's because I wanted to associate it with uh, National Playing Card Collection Day, right. which is something <laughs> something I, I applied for that got through. Awesome. Um, yeah, it's, it's honestly, I any anybody that has a niche market, I, I fully suggest doing it. It's It's practically free. And it's a way in terms of like SEO sake, just to like associate your brand with that market niche category. Um, but this specific one from beginning to end probably took um, four months okay. of designing, but like full time uh, long day designs. Um, it was spread out 
over over the year, but because of those interruptions between switching between different projects, um, that's probably how much time it took gotcha. to get everything out the door. So, so yeah. I might have the answer already for this question, but out of that time or over like this last year, has what's been like the biggest roadblock or the big biggest pivot that's had to happen for you to get to where you are right now, or has there been anything? Um, there there are quite a few pivots. Um trying to think of the notable ones because essentially when you're in such a small market honestly there's probably in terms of consistency seek uh 25 to 40 designers in the world that just do this wow um uh, so it's, it's very niche uh, but because of it it's very reactive like you just the quickest person is the one that survives right excuse me um and so i I think one of the biggest pivots is is um, hyper customization. I, I mentioned that earlier in terms of the trends, but the people that are able, at least for my demographic, the people that are able to cater to those whims of wanting that really custom piece of art for themselves, the one in a thousand decks or one in five hundred decks. Um, I think. That was a big change. Um, so I looked into personal foilers, um, getting a Glowforge for um, custom laser cutting. Um, that's not necessarily something you need at home, right. but in terms of prototype um, turnarounds, I don't have to go all the way to um, the local pumping station um, where they have all like the cool gadgets and stuff, mm-hmm. which is actually pretty fun. But I, I don't have to go all the way there to, to get stuff done and to pay um, when I could do everything at home. So I think that's being able to to produce at a smaller level was one of the biggest changes from what the market used to be. Hmm, interesting. So kind of my follow-up to that question is, over that same amount of time, what's been like the most memorable moment or you know, just something that just sticks out that was just a pinnacle, like, thank God we got this or, you know, yes, this technology worked. You know, we, oh, you know um, it, it actually yeah. worked. It was in my brain and now it's actually on a deck of cards. It's working, you know. I, I I think the the biggest hurrah is honestly the first Kickstarter because yeah. that was the validation or proof of concept. Um, and as an entrepreneur, that's like literally the moment of the end of the movie that you're fighting for, right? Right, right. right. Um, I, each campaign though, I, I do go through something similar. Um, for for this one specifically, uh, I, I I think that moment came when I introduced the second batch of cards and got this Kickstarter rolling again, because I was looking at the data on my previous two Kickstarters, and this one sort of slowed out, and I I had to really analyze what went wrong. Was it the market changing? Was it my specific Kickstarter that did something wrong? So I I had to really revamp the Kickstarter as a whole. I replaced it from playing card category to product design category. I reframed reframed um the the thumbnails and how the kickstarter was laid out mm. um and it, it pushed it back into the momentum cycle um and so for me it wasn't what the numbers are at right now it was the point that i recognized that the market isn't collapsing right, right. it was just I, I i did something wrong in the beginning and um, i can still continue doing what i love um so that yeah. So, so I mean, this is a great time to just kind of pivot over to just the Kickstarter itself. So I'll let my listeners know that uh, you know you got about you got a week to go, so you're getting down to that final uh, you know final leg of the race. 
Uh, you had a goal of 20K, it looks like here, yeah. And you're at 66,000, almost 600 bucks with 790 backers. That's a ton of backers. Um, yeah, yeah, it's, I'm, I'm pretty excited about that. Yeah, that's a ton of, of people. And uh, so out of the, so you've ran three campaigns total. What's been the overall theme that maybe is the same for each campaign? And then what's been different between each campaign? Uh, that's a that's a really good question. Um, I mean, ideally, there's a formula that you can you can pop out um, that's gonna kill it each time, right? Mm-hmm. Um, so uh, typically, the card market. I don't. I'm not positive of if this translates to every corner of the Kickstarter because I get these questions a lot. Um, but I have add-ons, and add-ons is something that I didn't really know until I launched my campaign the first time around and it funded and then people were like, well, what's next? Where are the stretch goals? What are all these things? So I think one of the biggest things I try to do consistently is clarity of offerings. Um, And so you're trying to create a tier system that isn't so crowded that people have to scroll through everything um, while still offering a visual guide. Um, This one, I have a visual guide that you can actually click to see exactly what you're getting. Um, where they know, well, if I add this on, I have to add this much to manage my pledge. Um, if I'm international, I have to modify the shipping for this. Right. Um, you have to make it super clear. Um, and so I think one of the biggest problems I, I had with this current campaign is that um, something new with this specific Apothecary series was a storybook format. And I have the apothecarytales.com that like with each update, because I was trying to keep it fresh for my re- returning backers, there would be a, a piece of the chapter that revealed itself in audiobook format. Hmm. Um, so if you look in all the updates, you'll see the next chapter come out, and the next chapter come out. I really thought that would bring it home, um, but I also framed the entire page as the apothecary, and I think that confused a lot of people. Hmm. Uh, and so that's why I, I redid the entire campaign um, in terms of text and imagery wise to really just say, Hey, here's the deck. Here are the properties. Here's the deck. Here are the other properties. Um, and I, that communicate a lot better, um, as a designer, am I a little disappointed? (laughs) Yeah, a little bit, but am, am I happy that at least we can produce this? Right. Um, sure. So, so how, um, kind of prior to launch, how long did you work on a, like a pre marketing strategy before that you, uh, actually hit the go button? So, um, the the audiobook portion, the Apothecary series, that's something I've been sitting on for a while. That actually took a lot longer than I thought it'd be. Um, that took about two weeks to produce. Um, that's not very specific. That's or that's very specific to this um, campaign alone, though. Um, in terms of generic marketing, um, I usually try to do a Facebook event piece that allows uh, a direct notification in the the platform that they use every day. Um, it's like, hey, we have an hour before this Kickstarter launches. Please be there. Right. Um, and that's really big for people that have international markets. Um, I have people in Singapore. I have people in Germany. And it, they always get confused on like, is this GMT? Is this CDT? Well, what's the difference between CDT and CST? And yeah. I'm like, yeah. Okay, so that was a great way um, that I found out that really helped boost um email marketing is always a good one you respect their emails that people that unless you just you don't put them back on right um and you sort of you try to segment if you can based on oh he's from 
this campaign. Um, she's from that campaign. You try to do it a little bit more custom, but the email list is a big one. Yeah. Um, and that's actually one of the problems that I had when I first launched is because I had people go to my website and then click in the website to the campaign. And I'm nearly positive that second click action was what drove down engagement. Um, so if you can, now that they have the beautiful trackable links, yep. um, that's something I, I didn't even know until last week. Um, Kickstarter allows you to create specific links um, to put into anywhere so you know exactly which campaign is driving what in. Right. Um, that's probably your best bet. Um, and then if you can get funded in a, a soundbite amount of time, like, hey, we, we got funded within one day or two days or something like that, then I would almost use that as a ad campaign on Facebook to start driving that early momentum into the campaign. And did you, uh, did you reach out to a lot of press at all before you launched? That's something I tried doing um, in my first campaign. I did the whole press release thing. I joined all these like crowdfunding forums, and I didn't get a lot of traction with it. I'm really finding what keeps you within the momentum cycle um, because I more than 50% of my backers are from Kickstarter itself. Mm-hmm. It's not from outside traffic. Um, so it, it's really the two big things is Facebook ads and um, staying popular in the popular page. Right. Um, because those people, I, I, I don't know the algorithm for the magic um, ticker. Mm-hmm. Um, but I, in terms of like popularity, if you can get your sales in or, or even backers, um, it really helps just keep you in the visible eye um, to help get more engagement for your site. Yeah, I think we usually see it's around uh, you know, roughly about 30% of your goal amount. You know, if you can get that in the, in a short amount of time and kind of yeah, keep that yeah. going, you know, uh, you, you know, you'll break some sort of algorithm thing or whatever you want to call it. So how, how did you come up with your goal of, uh, of 20,000? So um, my, well, my production now is going to be higher than that. Um, but the, that's the beauty of uh, economy of scale. Um, you'll, you'll try to, Basically work with the worst constraints that you have. It's like at the very worst, can I survive doing the this amount um, with these features? Um, and then you'll stretch goal all the extra features out um, with your scale. Uh, so 20,000 was enough for the minimum run. And then uh, because I have two different decks as well, usually people only do one deck. Um, but once it begins to scale higher, then the the margins will be a bit more forgiving, um, and then you can even increase your production, um, which I probably will for this case. Uh, but I typically try to do twenty percent under because um, it, it well, I mean, make sure you can cover the skin that you put in the game. Right, right. But I, I try to do twenty percent under because the quicker that you fund, I am pretty sure that also affects the algorithm, but mostly so. People love social proof. Like people are much more willing, like twice as much uh, going to pledge for your campaign for that extra thirteen dollars or something. These are the super backers that mm-hmm. want to help you. Just give them an excuse to help you and show that you're not some confused uh, Joe Schmo that just like launched something. Right. Um, it's like this is funded. 
this is something that will happen and um, I'm, I'm backing a successful person. So having that go over quicker um, by that 20% really does matter because it, it sometimes it's, it's so scary when you just drop off the map, drop below the top 20, yep. um, like literally your campaign just stalls. Yeah. So every single pledge matters. Yep. Um, so that's why I, I typically do that. So, so one of the things uh, I, I really dug about your page in regards to the Kickstarter page um, is how the how to manage your pledge um, video tutorial. Uh, I get a lot of people are like, "Man, I just my grandma doesn't understand, or they don't they don't get it." And I, I love <laughs> the way that like yeah. I tell I actually I sent your page to a couple of people today. I go, "See, this guy did it. Just do it. Just walk them through it so that there's no confusion." Uh, did you have some of that 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 stress? Uh, in your other campaigns, and this time you're like, you know what? I'll just bite that with a with a video. No, actually, this this video is, has existed for a while. Um, this is actually, if you look closely, and because I'll actually get uh, conversations about this as well. Um, this is on when they still used to have Amazon oh, as right, a processor. Right, right, right. Yeah, but I've been meaning to actually make a custom one yeah. as well because now their whole managing pledge. I I I just answered like five of those this morning before before this interview. Um, Add-ons are are tough because people don't quite understand them. Um, Nowadays, you can just click on the tier and the the amount will come up where you can actually edit it, Mm -hmm. uh, which is really great. But when you have already clicked something and you locked it in and you want to edit it again, you actually can't. Right. Um, and, And that's a... That was something that I just discovered this weekend. And so I'm telling people, well, you have to go out of the tier and then click back into the tier to access the editing. And for me, um, one of the ways I keep momentum is to have these waves of new product um, that I'll have like, oh, these limited edition boxes will open up in this tier. So people are actually afraid to change out of that tier to go back into it in case they lose it. Right. Um, so that's a problem. Hmm. Um, Interesting. But um, yeah, that's actually one of the ways to like hopefully flood some more popularity into your campaign to like continue to tread water. Sure. What, what's your uh, strategy been for shipping, considering that you have uh, product kind of going all over the world? Yeah, shipping. Shipping is um, the joke. Is the Kickstarter is the easiest part? The shipping is the nightmare. Um, yep. It's I, I do everything myself in terms of domestic. Uh, last year I tried out a fulfillment house and it, it is worth it. It's just not worth the headache to deal with, um, one packing all those products. Um, if you could reduce it by half, that's a godsend, but two, um, they just lock in some crazy rates and it's like, it's tough being like, Oh, you're paying three, $4 per package, right. um, just for handling. Um, but they're, they're locking in rates that even with that are cheaper than what it would take, at least for me to personally um, ship out products to like one deck to Asia mm-hmm. um, because they have these just sheer numbers that allow them access to wholesale rates that we can't access. Yeah. Cool. So kind of move it back a little bit over back to the project, you know, I noticed that you can unlock this chapters, chapter one, chapter two, you know, what is the strategy behind that? And, and what are the chapters? That- so, um, 
there's there's two ways to really look at um, how stretch goals and content works. Um, this one is time based. Uh, previously, it'd be based on uh, revenue, um, but I found that revenue is really hard to control. And the idea of like, well, we're like a thousand dollars away. Let's all pledge more. Really doesn't cut it. Mm-hmm. So I was trying to do something that was more paced based on how people want to receive the project in general. So I try to do two a week. There's going to be one that's coming out today um, that involves coins. Um, but the the chapters themselves are honestly just fun content that helps bring the storybook um, theme of the apothecary to life. So each chapter is literally a one and a half, um, two minute uh, audio book soundbite um, on apothecarytales.com um, that was made to help generate interest and confirmation of value to uh, these products. Yeah, that's a very tricky um, thing. Are you using content like that um, to drive product, you know? Yeah, I, I'm, at the end of the day, I don't know. I, I can't really track um, exactly how well it's working. Right. <laughs> but uh, the, the content's already made, so I, people are enjoying it. Um, in terms of the email list, uh, the people that did sign up for Apothecary Tales, I had a 95% click-through rate oh, for that, awesome. uh, which was insane. Um, I mean, it, it was lower than 100, but that's still a pretty big deal. Um, so it's like, of the people that were interested, they love it. Um, uh, does everyone like it? Probably not. Right. But um, from what I've learned, there's, there's, there's saints, there's sinners, and the people in between, you don't worry about the saints because they love you. Yep. You don't worry about the sinners because they hate you. Right, right. Just focus on the middle. Yep. So. so, you know, one of the things too I was wondering on the campaign is, did you have any thoughts about going with like a very high tier, uh, you know, your uh, as a reward? I mean, I think your highest one is 175, right? Yeah, I think so. Yeah. Um, did you, yeah. you know, did you have in your mind, you know, I don't know, something around $2,000 or $5,000 where... I don't know. They can go to the printing factory or something, or did or or did you just want to keep it basically around all around the product? Uh, I try to keep it around the product. I, I've seen attempts at that before, um, and I don't know if it's uh, specific to our niche. Um, it doesn't naturally do well. Mm. Um, if you uh, there's a great uh, campaign for playing cards that utilized like a hand done. Um, box and that was around like 350 um so it's still not in 2000 range or like i've seen some people do like um original artwork for the cards that they'll sometimes give away or sell um for a thousand dollars and maybe you might get one or two uh, but typically what i find is that i would rather have the ease of choice for a backer like having them not be confused on all the selections um, is much better than having that chance of that one person that picks the thousand dollar. Yep. Gotcha. It's interesting. So, you know, kind of follow and kind of wrapping this up here a little bit, you've got seven days to go, you know, you've squashed your goal big time. What's the mindset for you right now uh, in this last week? Um, Mindset for me right now, uh, I want to get the coins out because that's something that people are pretty animated about. But besides that, it, it honestly is, I'm already starting production. I want to make sure uh, production, if they can, uh, process my artwork beforehand so we save a week because there's a whole waiting queue um, to get your stuff printed. Um, organizing all the factories saying, can you get this done 
by this date if I make you payment mm-hmm. by 14 days after the campaign. So right now, I'm already starting um, production. Um, it, it, is it great? Uh, do you have to? Not really. Um, but for me, um, especially for international people who it takes time, a lot of time to, yeah. to receive the product, it, those, those couple weeks really, that, or at least that one extra week really does help. They, they really appreciate it. So I try to do that early. And, and what is the kind of the massaging to get this thing printed? Is there, you know, a ton of can any print company do it, or do you have to use a very specific one? Or what's that relationship? Uh, so any like? any any print. Well, it depends on like who you're picking. Um, so the United States Plant Card Company is printing my cards. Um, the specific engraving sleeves I'm printing uh, out of house. Um, the special boxes I'm doing out of house. Um, there's also those. Uh, specialty drawers and those are printed out of house so i think one of the big things is logistically making sure that all those timelines fit together so i can ship the product gotcha um so i have to have three four different people um arranged right away to ensure that i can ship out this one order right gotta get the kittens all in the basket on the same day yeah (laughs) exactly exactly (laughs) so What's what's next year look like? You know, uh, you know what what's the future looking like? Uh, future future is honestly uh, ideally going to be in house production. Somehow figuring out a way to really um, what I was describing before bring production into lower numbers um, that I can control myself. Because when you're outsourcing that, they the amount of time it takes is just. They, they upcharge quite a bit. Yeah. So if I can bring that in-house, that would be wonderful. Um, and then trying something new, um, maybe making paper, oh. <laughs> um, uh, which would be pretty cool, uh, pulpit, um, or um, challenging the norms of what playing cards are. So um, in the olden days, they used coins and swords, and it'd be interesting to see how the market react to that. Yeah. But uh, who knows? It would be intriguing. Well, Alex, I appreciate you taking the time out of your day today and a little bit on Monday to try to get this thing uh, recorded. Uh, I, 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 you've got a great product, great campaign. Uh, you had a ton of success, and I just I thank you so much for uh, for giving your knowledge to my listeners, man. It was great. No, thank you for having me. Um, thank you for having me on again after <laughs> after Monday. I, I wasn't sure if it was like, did I burn that bridge? Oh, no. Oh, no. <laughs> it's just a false start. That's all. We just had to regroup. Yeah. That's all. But uh, all right, man. Thanks so much for your time. All right. Thank you, Fuzzy. All right. How about that conversation, huh? Alex, I want to thank you again for coming on the old podcast. And uh, sharing your knowledge of the playing card world, and uh, and I want to congratulate you on a very very successful Kickstarter campaign. Um, really looking forward to your next projects that come out. So, hope you guys enjoyed the conversation. And uh, like I said, I'm going to have a, a epi- three episodes this week. We're going to um, launch Wednesday and Friday this week. So make sure you guys stay tuned. Make sure you're subscribing uh, and downloading them on iTunes or Stitcher, wherever you're getting your iPad, uh, your iPods. Come on, Jeff, get it together. You know, just wherever you're getting your podcast for. Um, so real quick, this song is called "Tie Me Down." Uh, a song I wrote with uh, Jake uh, Stamper, my songwriter Barton. You know, him and I wrote almost everything. So. Um, I felt like this was a pretty good song for the week, right? Right? So uh, I hope you enjoy it, and uh, we'll see you guys again on Wednesday.
I'll be all.